I'm Tony Lockwood, founder of Thompson Wright Partners, and I'm delighted to welcome you to the latest episode of Inside Track, where I discuss business transformation journeys with leading figures in industry. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Danny Bacon. After a career that spans the private sector, the public sector, and the non-for-profit sector, she has significant experience of taking organisations on the journey to a transformed state. More recently, she has set up a consultancy focused upon people-driven change, which she will explain more about as we progress through the pod. Let me introduce you to Danny now. Okay, morning, Danny. Uh, Welcome to the uh, Inside Track podcast. It's great to have you here. Lovely Um, to be here. Let's start like we always do by introducing yourself, uh, letting the listeners know a little bit more about your background. And, and, and that sort of vital question, how you first moved into the world of change and transformation. Okay. So, yeah, thanks for inviting me on to talk to you. Really looking forward to it. So a bit about me. So um, I've been working as an organisational development consultant for the last couple of years, um, initially on my own. But then last year, I teamed up with my now business partner, a guy called Garen, um, to form a consultancy organisation called um, Distinction. So we'd worked together on um, doing a podcast of our own, actually, on, on leadership and management and all that sort of thing. Then we collaborated on a couple of projects and then kind of the natural progression. We've now set up our own company together and formed kind of doing all our work under that new um Brilliant. new brand so it's quite exciting so we take a kind of really people-centric approach to the work that we do um really about helping organizations i guess navigate change and growth and you know bring out the best in their people and their teams so we do a mix of consultancy work and training and coaching um are also part way through writing a book on decision making so um keeping ourselves busy so yeah absolutely. um yeah so what, what about my, earlier in your career earlier in my career yeah so i started my um i don't i've never not really had a defined career path i guess it's kind of been a bit emergent and driven by just doing interesting work. Am I learning? Am I enjoying myself? Am I making a difference? I really like turning vague things into reality. So if you give me a vague thing, I'll just make it happen. Um, so I started off in the water industry actually a few years after it had been privatised. So yeah. I did my my first seven years stint there, kind of navigating what privatisation meant for, for the yeah. industry. So that was a variety of roles. Um, worked as a manager in a call centre, which was kind of baptism of fire in terms of managing a team for the first time. And I ended up in the, the buying department negotiating negotiating contracts for kind of all sorts of things, kind of some glamorous, like international travel, others <laughs> less so like sewer jetting. So um, <laughs> I then um, migrated across to the public sector. So I worked for a number of arms length public bodies, kind of quangos, um, and they were all focused on transforming the way employers were involved in the skills and employment issues across the UK. So it was essentially that was where I got into change management, project management, really a series of roles making change happen. So including one of them was getting a 40 million pound growth and innovation fund off the ground. So there was a, a line in, a, I think, one of the kind of budgets that said we were launching a growth and, of growth and innovation fund. And then that was it. And we had to. <laughs> make sense of it and um, yeah work out how to get to employers to put forward proposals um, and they were co-investing so the government would put in money and then um, employers would put in money um, as well so um, that was really interesting and then by this weird quirk of fate investors in people which at the time was a government-owned organization moved into the organization I was working at uh, at that time as a standalone business unit so historically it like relied on government grant funding to do what it did uh, which was essentially accrediting good people management practices in organisations. Um, but it didn't, it got to a point where what it was doing wasn't really strongly aligned with any current government government policy objectives. So nobody really 
knew what to yeah. do with it. They were like, oh, it's doing good stuff. And it's got tens of thousands of kind of people who are signed up to the standard, but we don't know what to do with it. So I joined a small leadership team to lead it through its next phase. So initially that was about taking, you know, eliminating its reliance on, on public funding. So we overhauled the franchise arrangements and pricing models and streamlined processes and then kind of set about determining what happened next to it. So um, ultimately, it was decided to set it up as a community interest company, so a not for profit. Um, And we could probably spend a whole podcast talking about that process, (laughs) which took 18 months all told. But essentially, we managed the organisation through that transformation. So moving out of government, setting it up as an independent entity. and it was a bit like running a kind of startup from a back office perspective. So you've got this whole established legacy business going on, customers trying to make sure they don't know what, you know, don't notice any changes. But in the back office, new finance system, new bank accounts, new credit cards. Um, you know, we were putting things like our team office 365 descriptions on our own credit cards to start with because there was nothing, <laughs> there was nothing there. We had like we were really streamlined in terms of headcount because there'd been this massive recruitment freeze while government deciding what to happen. They didn't well, you can't take on any more people. And it was just a fairly brutal process, I think, of leaving the public sector. It's like this cliff edge. It's like as of tomorrow, yeah. you're not you're not in the public sector anymore. But equally you can't spend any money until you're out of the public sector. So it was this real cliff edge of wasn't a gentle transition, let's say. Um, they even kicked <laughs> us out. Even kicked us out of our offices because we were oh, in a public, no. public building. They went, "Nate, you got you're out. You can't stay here. You're not a public sector building anymore." So, um, but sometimes that's really that's really good, isn't it? I think that sort of um, you know that you've got to do stuff, and you've you know you, you you haven't got a massive team behind you. You've just got to make yeah. it happen. Yeah, and, yeah. And I think that startup sort of philosophy and, and, and approach. Um, I've certainly been in, involved in a few of those, and it's. I just find them really, really exciting times was, yeah. of, of, of life that you look back on. You think, yeah, it made a difference there. Yeah, that sense of freedom of not, you know, just getting out of the constraints of being in the public sector and having all that choice about what we do. You know, it comes with risks, and you know, freedom doesn't come without its, its challenges. But yeah, it was a a really, really interesting project to be part of um, you know as well as all the practicalities the whole culture transformation as well taking a team of people that you know have been some of them been in the public sector for a really long time and we used to be part of that that big machinery so um, yeah brilliant so I stayed there kind of six years I guess the last few years as director of people and I guess that's what's led me to do what I do now which is as yeah. I said that people element of organizational growth and change and transformation so brilliant well I'm, I'm sure that experience certainly of that transition from public sector to for not to not for profit yeah. will inform a lot of the conversation that we're going to have later so i'm uh, sure it will do let's, yes. let's, uh, let's, let's keep that to uh to later um we asked the question or to, to every guest um how do you define transformation yeah i think it's a really interesting conversation uh, kind of question and you you see that word transformation banded about so much that everybody's yeah. doing a transformation project um and people just use it interchangeably with change and optimization and they don't really distinguish between the two i think for me there's something about scale so for me transformation has enterprise-wide implications yeah. so it's not just about optimizing something it's about significant change it's like a fundamental shift in in what the organization does or what it delivers its business model how it's performing you know how it does its its reinvention really i guess um i think there's something about uncertainty that's attached to transformation so Mm -hmm. it's for me it's definitely in the gray zone if you're doing something at scale that's radical then inevitably you can't have all the answers and if you do you're probably not being 
kind of ambitious enough. I don't know. You can't predict how things are going to pan out. Um, you can't predict, you know, if it's going to take a long time, there's that internal external change that you can't predict. And I think it's easy to be sucked into thinking transformation is linear because when you look back at a project, you go, well, we went from A, we went to B. So that that was what we did, but you forget kind of all the diversions and um, all, all the wiggly lines, all between. the wiggly lines, all the you know the backwards and the spiraling round. Um, so I also think it's personal. I think it's easy to think about transformation as big programs, but for me, and I guess that comes from what I do in terms of the people side of things. I think it you know it's down to individuals that make it happen. At the end of the day, it's about individuals changing what they do, their mindsets, their attitudes, their skills, their capabilities. You know, you need individuals to transform and change if you're going to make the wider um change happen i guess yeah agree yeah. so so on your linkedin profile danny you say that you work with leaders to develop strategies that allow them to create the conditions culture structures and processes that unleash mm. the potential of their people to mm. achieve great things so tell me more about that because I, I think that's you know every, every person in, in whatever organization will be keen to understand how you do that yeah and i think it's 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 easy, it's easy to say. I think it's much harder to do. And I think, you know, you, you talk to a lot of organisations and leaders and they say, oh, we're people centric, we're people first. But when you get into it, not really. <laughs> it's a bit of a, you know, we've put it on our we've put it on our values. Um, so we start with a people first um, perspective. Um, we advocate for involving people in change right up front. So it's not about doing change and transformation to them. It's getting involved right up front, making the best now, of. How do you do that? What sort of things do you do to, to get them involved at some? I think a lot of it's about creating dialogue. It's about creating a safe space for people to be involved as well. Um, psychological safety gets talked about a lot. Um, there's so much collective intelligence in, in, in our teams, in our people that work in our organisations. And we need to harness that and we need to leverage it. Um, yeah. But you're only going to do that if people feel they're, they're safe to speak up, they're safe to share, that their ideas are going to be listened to. So the lot of, a lot of the work that we do is about creating space for dialogue, dialogue that wouldn't happen. Um, normally about creating psychologically safe spaces for people to come forward and and speak up um, we do a really interesting exercise with some teams called the team question bank so when you get in an organization and they haven't had that that history of um, asking questions or being used to challenging each other we get them to create a team question bank so they come up with a set of questions they're going to ask each other um, about every project or every initiative just to get them used to the idea of um talking to each other and asking questions and and they know they've got this set of maybe 10 or 12 questions that they will ask every time there's a project or a decision that's coming up so um and that works really well and it kind of unlocks that um that reluctance i guess to speak up and people know yeah. it's okay to ask these questions yeah, it gives um, them permission almost gives them permission yeah people sometimes people need permission however good your culture is you don't know what people's backgrounds are so they might have come from an organization where you just did not yeah. challenge or question because there were there were consequences yeah um, I, th I think um it, it's interesting I, I i say all the time that when you bring an external in mm. to an organization especially if you bring someone in out from from outside of mm. outside of sector yeah. they can get to the core issue really really quickly because they ask all the numpty questions yes but but nobody will ask if you've yeah. been in that environment for many many years but if you if you set that that up and give them permission to ask mm. those numpty questions yeah you get you can unravel lots and lots of issues and, you, and challenges can't you really you really can. quickly you, you, you really you just can. have to take the layers off yeah there's real value in having somebody stepping in from outside who who isn't embroiled in in all the, the history and the the way things are done and, and can as you say ask those numpty questions um 
that get you to the, the number of it yeah. really so um, well, like i say but i think that that, that 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 idea that you're just saying there about having that quick that question bank and giving mm. them permission you're almost saying we want you to come in yeah. and yeah. ask those numpty questions yeah yeah the, i mean the other tool we use that works really well is something called the spectrum of support so you might have seen this in my linkedin post i think you, you commented it's the idea about giving people more options than just yes or no when they're discussing yeah. something so often people go no i'm not on board with that or yes i am we give people like this spectrum of um, different ways of agreeing or disagreeing with what's being said and again that just opens up the question uh, opens up the discussion you're not shutting it down into a binary yes or no you give people space to say yes but i'm not sure about this bit or i need i need more about this bit so yeah um, yeah, you, yeah. You, you're playing in those shades of gray you are yeah absolutely and that's that's life isn't it it's it's very easy to want to make it black and white but it it rarely is yeah absolutely absolutely so um as we know tra- as you say transformation you know usually significant usually um definition transformative uh, <laughs> moving from one state to another yeah um and, and and because of that, it, it can take multi, a long time, mm. um, you know, multiple years in many instances, um, which can create challenges, I find, to mm. keep people motivated, to keep them on board, mm-hmm. to keep the executive all aligned oh, yeah. down, to, yeah. down, 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 the, down the one channel. So what do you do and what, what experience have you had? And, 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 I, and I'm, I'd be very surprised if you didn't have lots of uh, lots of uh, examples from the public sector mm. where the politics get into play a lot more. But what, what experience have you had of, of taking people and maintaining that absolute clear focus that's required to uh, to deliver major transformation? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the investors in people journey out of the public sector is a really good example of that. So it took 18 months. So we said to the team at the start of the 18 months, there's changes coming, but we don't know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> and that lasted for probably 15 of those 18 months. I think in one week we had, you know, there were a lot of the, the stakeholder landscape was really complex. There were, it was UK wide. So there were Scottish, Welsh, Northern Ireland, English cabinet office, treasury, education, business, really complex landscape to try and navigate through. So we were saying to our team, something's happening we don't know what it is you know in one week i think one day we were being moved investors were being moved to another non-departmental public body the next day it was oh, we might just put it out put it out for sale to the private market there's people out there um we might just merge it into a you know existing government department so that it you know and that was in the space of three days so wow. there was a lot of uncertainty so i think for us great communications and a regular cadence of just keeping people um up to date with what's going on um even if it wasn't much even if there wasn't new information just keeping keeping going with that because actually you know what humans are like we like to make sense of stuff and if we don't have any information we just we sense make we fill in the gaps ourselves um (laughs) and we come up inevitably with a kind of worst case scenario um yeah so um that was important creating space for dialogue i guess giving people the time to really talk through what their concerns were, what their fears was, what it meant for them. I think we used line managers um, were a really important resource and so making sure they felt empowered and um, resourced to work with their teams as well. Um, yeah. You know, that that cohort of middle managers can be really, really important when you're you're working on change because they're they're dealing with people day in, day out. So Yeah. Uh, and, and and it's interesting, isn't it? I, I find that all too often that middle management um, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's forgotten um, that if you, if you don't get them on board early enough, 
yeah, they they can it, they can become a major stumbling block, and a lot of focus is on the sponsors and the key senior stakeholders, mm. and then the frontline staff. But actually, the enablers are those middle managers, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, really important to work with them and give them the, just the tools and the information, so they're not on the back foot when the teams are asking the questions and they don't throw their hands up and go, "Well, I haven't got any idea. Go and ask, you know, yeah. someone else." Um, I think networks are really important. So, you know, what networks can you create in your organisation just to catalyse change and keep people enthusiastic and um, up and running? Um, that's worked really well. Kind of not, I suppose it partly is transformation, but I've done a lot of work in the wellbeing space as well. So. Networks of well-being champions and getting people to think about, you know, how they yeah. can support well-being in the organisation. And I think that's a really important thing when you've got a long transformation as well, is looking after people's well-being, keeping an eye on it. Um, yeah. It's tiring. Well, I, um, I, as you said earlier, it, change only happens um, with the through the through the people, doesn't it? Mm. You can you can change the technology, you can change the processes, you can try to change the culture. But actually, if you don't really engage in and, and, and people embrace that change, nothing happens. So, yeah. And during that process, the ability to look after your people and take them on that journey is is, yeah. is, is a, key, a yeah. key driver of success. Yeah. I mean, there's loads of research out there about how important things like autonomy and control and being involved in decision making are for people's well-being. And yeah. that's the sort of thing that can can be lost a bit when there's a big transformation going on people can suddenly feel like they're out of the out of control so the more you can make people feel involved um then the better it is for you know your program and and the individuals so and i think you said it earlier the other thing is active senior commitment um and involvement throughout the way you know how often do you see somebody and a you know a senior leader really excited at the start of the program and then they've you know they've moved on to the next thing before you've kind of got part way through so <coughs> So what do you do to keep to, to do that then? Because I, I agree, I think it's it's a challenge because like you say, they, they pop up and announce it mm. um with the big fanfare and then you know you never hear from them again. And yeah. um, and and then you know, I've been in organizations and, and done a lot of work in sort of those public sector organizations that move moved into private sector during privatization. Yeah. And and a lot of the time, the, the culture was well. If we keep our head down long enough, the pro, the, the the initiative will go away. And something oh, absolutely. Else will crop up. Yeah. And and that had, that had built up over so many many years. That yeah. had become the culture. So trying yeah. to drive stuff in was mm. really difficult because their view was, it's not going to happen. So yeah, you know, move on and 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 let's wait for the next one. Yeah, and I think that's right. I mean. In an ideal world, you do you do a lot of work up front to work out whether the, the senior leaders have really worked. Are they ready for the change and the transformation that's coming? Have they really understood what they're signed up for? Because sometimes they they don't they like the idea of it, um, but they've not really realised what's involved. I think getting commitments from from them in terms of how they're going to be involved throughout the process is really important. Um, so yeah, it's more than just nominal sponsorship, isn't it? You want them to. Yeah. They just need to be actively involved throughout the way, leading, leading comms yeah. at key points, leading networks, say working with line managers, um, and yeah. being there to celebrate the, the successes along the way as well. So, for me, it's about celebrating the small wins throughout the program rather than leaving it till the end. Um, yeah. yeah, so people can yeah, see, agree. see, there's you know, there's a reason to be engaged in this because there are things happening already. Um, yeah, yeah. But I think it's a it's a core role, isn't it, of that sort of transformation leader or that that transformation director to mm. manage up yes. and, and and not just report up yes. um, to the sponsors, but actually manage up and make sure that they are actively engaged and actively involved and, and yeah. almost, to some extent, do what we ask them to do. 
at the point that we ask them to do it. And, and yeah. that's, a, that's a matter of trust then, isn't it? Because I'm mm. not going to ask you to do everything every mm. week. But when, I, but when I do ask you to do it, I'm asking you because it's important and yes. there's a, a real need for it. Yeah. So yeah. It, it, that takes some time to build that trust. Up. Yeah, and I, think, I guess it's keeping the change relevant for people as well. So, you know, everything changes so quickly, doesn't it? That, you know, the case you had at the beginning might feel feel different as, as the environment and things have moved along the way. So just kind of keeping up to date and, and doing that scanning thing where you just, are we still doing the right thing? Is this still, are we doing, still doing it in the right way? Is it still yeah. meeting the, the organisation objectives or have they shifted um, in the time since we started? So. Yeah, yeah. But I, I remember the very first episode um, that we did of this of this podcast uh, in 2020, uh, Christoph talked about focusing on outcomes, mm. not outputs. Okay. Um, so yeah. you, 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 at that, in uh, uh, his view, was, uh, and I agree. If you if you focus on outcomes, they're much more generic. They're much mm. more. Uh, they're, they're much. They're much wider. It's more of a philosophy. We're going yeah. in this direction. This is what we want to get. Where we want to be. So you know, we we want to be much more customer centric. Mm. Um, where in the past you might have said, well, customer centricity is X, Y, Z. Well, mm. If we don't meet X, Y, Z, we haven't got customer centricity. But over a three or four year period, trans- a transformation program, new stuff could have happened. Yeah. So so actually, um, you know, focus upon what how we will measure that customer centricity rather than focusing upon we will have A, B and C in place. Because yeah, I A, think- B and C might not be relevant anymore. Yeah, I think that's really important. It, it enables people to be more creative as well. They don't get they don't get hooked on a solution or or, or an output they want to achieve. It, and you know, when we've been looking at the decision making research for the book, that thing about generating options is really really important. The more you know, so many I think it's something I can't remember the exact stat. It's something like seventy five percent of strategic decisions binary. So it's do we do A or B? Yeah. If you can add in just one extra option. Um, then the failure rate of transformation and change goes down dramatically. So, um, and I think focusing right. on outcomes really frees people up to do that, um, yeah. to, to think about different options for for achieving the outcome rather than looking at a kind of narrow solution. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think being clear about the outcome and having that sort of North Star and that real sort of um, vision um, is great at mm. probably unessential of mm. any successful transformation yeah um, but the more defined you get down to the granular level that can as, as we said that can prevent actually achieving of that that north star moment so, yeah yeah i think you're right that, that clear vision that, that objective is really important but yeah not to overly define it because that just that contains and restrains and restricts yeah. people doesn't it yeah so yeah. you, you touched on it earlier um, when, when we we're, when we're talking about the sort of transition um, that, that, that you went through from sort of public sector into um, non-for-profit. Um, that, and, and you started to talk about some of, some of the daily changes that were happening. Mm. Are, we, are we going private? Are we being sold? Are we going into another public body, et cetera? For the people... Mm. that were operating um, w- within that business, business unit. It must have been very, very stressful for them. Oh, hugely, um, yeah. Because, you know, fundamentally they're saying, well, what, what does it mean to me? Yeah. And then the following day, well, that's completely, what does that mean to me? So that, all that uncertainty. What, what did you do to sort of mitigate some of that stress? And, um, uh, and, and, and I suppose also, what do you do personally to mitigate stress when you're in that sort of environment, that, environment of, of, of unknown I suppose and yeah 
I think partly it was about treating people like adults. So not, you know, not covering up the fact that we didn't know, being really quite transparent about, you know, yeah. the uncertainty. Um, it was about helping people work through what it might mean for them and how they felt about that and having some options lined up. We had a we put in a whole program around well-being to give people kind of the tools and techniques to manage their own their own stress and their own well-being. So uh, that went down really well. And that was really directed by the team. The kind of, you know, what are the things that are going to really help you kind of navigate this? So, um, yeah, I mean, in terms of me personally, so I've done quite a lot. I'm a big advocate of well-being. Um, it's yeah. been a really important part of the kind of the work that I do and you know, have done and still do. So I make it a real priority, I think, as a leader is about role modelling. Um so you're not saying one thing and, and doing another. Yeah. So, you know, when the pandemic hit, I would, you know, and I was homeschooling my son and, you know, there was a lot going on. I took an hour out at lunchtime every day, irrespective of what going on. We went out for a walk and I just made sure my team knew that. It's like, it's yeah. okay to do that. If it's too much, take a break. So really kind of um, doing that, I think, making sure that people feel they can trust you um, and they can talk yeah. about their own mental health and their well-being. So create an environment where people will open up and talk to you because then you can do something about it. It's not about becoming a therapist. It, it, you know, it's about being able to signpost people to the right sort of help. Um, for yeah. me, it's been a lot of self-awareness about what are my triggers? When do I know I'm getting stressed? Um, spotting it early before it yeah. kind of takes a hold and then doing things I know are going to help. For me, it's like taking kind of two minute pauses in, in a really busy day just to kind of regroup, reground before I move on to the next thing. Um, and then just making sure I've got a real work-life balance which is a bit of a cliche it doesn't actually be big stuff but out myself as a complete geek here so lego is my thing at the moment so i've spent years being lego assistant to my son he's grown up a bit and he's, he's not as keen on lego now but i've kind of i'm doing lego on my own now so um, it's, <laughs> you know some of the more um the, the kind of bigger builds i'm just really enjoying doing that it's kind of like a really mindful thing yeah so, no. uh, and fun um it, it's really interesting i was talking to someone the other day i'm just i'm just desperately trying to remember who it was but they were saying exactly the same thing. Yeah. But, you know, that that sort of um, having all of these different building blocks yeah. and having a picture of what we've got <laughs> to create and working out, it, it just it just takes you away from everything else. And you just yeah. focus upon one thing uh, and one thing only. And it, yeah. and it just it, it switches them off. And yeah. it just gives them that opportunity just to refresh themselves almost. Uh, but I think the other thing you, you mentioned there, which um, is, is is very common, um, of just getting out into nature, going for a yeah. walk, going for a run, going for a cycle, whatever, but yeah. just getting out and, and, yeah. and, and getting fresh air and, and, and just giving yourself a bit of time is, yeah. is, is a consistent theme that's come through. Um, Absolutely. I think it's really easy, isn't it? When, when we're all working from home and we're stuck behind Zoom screens just to head down and not do that, but it does yeah. make a massive difference I, like you speak to lots of people who find that there's real kind of power and goodness in in doing that yeah and, and some people uh, you know just go for a walk and take in the environment um I, I i tend to go for a walk and listen to podcasts mm. but, but 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 listening to sort of completely you know different types of podcasts um, yeah. because it's just you just it takes you away from what you're doing and you're yes. just absorbing more and more information out of which um uh, I, I i find that quite relaxing mm. uh, yeah. for other people they say just need to have quiet space don't they just get yeah. out and not not have anything so yeah whatever works for you is the, is the key it. method yeah. isn't it know know what know what works for you and make sure you do it which is easier said than done but um yeah 
Um, okay, so um, another question that I, I like to ask um, is that ultimately we, we, we've all heard these sort of dreadful uh, statistics about change programs, transformations, failing. Mm. Um, and, and okay, they might not have been delivered on time or within budget or mm. might not have delivered the full value, but most of them will deliver the necessary change mm. in my experience. Um, but a key driver of, of that time is often about the value that's delivered. Mm. Um, so what do you do? What, what have you done to ensure that that sort of value stream, that sort of focus upon the value delivery is maintained as you go through these sort of 18 month, 20, uh, 24 month change initiatives? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's, it's having it front of mind all the time. So keeping it refreshed. So just making sure that whatever you're delivering is still delivering value in the context the organization is in at the time you're you're working with it because things change especially now things change yeah. so quickly i think it's just checking in all the time and not setting off on a direction and being dogmatic about well we said we do it we're doing it for the next 18 24 months and we'll we'll check in at the end of it it's just that re that constant recalibration and and nudging as you go along um yeah. if you can kind of measure quick wins or kind of early successes you know is it you know, are there are there markers we can put along the way to help us track what's successful and what's not? Um, again, talk to people. What what are they feeling? I think this whole thing about um, resistance to change really interests me. So this idea that people are resistant to change and we need to we need to stop that and quash it. For me, they're like the people who are willing to stand up and go, "I'm I'm not on board here. I'm not sure about this." They're like your early warning system. Um, yeah. Because if they're speaking up, there's probably another, you know, 10 people behind them who are just heads down going, well, I'm not going to say anything, but I think this is a terrible idea. So use the people around you. Um, yeah. Your collective yeah. intelligence, is this going to deliver the thing that we think it's going to deliver? Is it really delivering value? Yeah. What are the obstacles? What are we not seeing? Um, that's, yeah. that's and like you say, if, if you can spot those people early doors mm. and work, <coughs> excuse me, and work with them and turn them around mm. often they become the most biggest advocates of yeah. the initiative and of yeah. the program and as you say they take people with them yeah yeah um, and so so you know they they will become the champions of the change yeah yeah absolutely and, and, and if they don't it's better that you know about them because they're <laughs> going to take a they're going to take a group of people with them as well yeah if you haven't so you got any to, of those you, i'd be suspicious <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely yeah. Uh, because at least once you once you've identified them, you can you can take action and do something. But just by remaining completely blinkered, yeah, it's just going to come up and trip you up at some point in the future, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I mean, the other thing for me around delivering value is is good decision making. I've become kind of really advocate for good decision making. The more we've kind of done the research for the book, I think it's all the way along weighing up your options. I'll be taking the best option that's going to add most value um, at this point, and not rushing through the tensions or the difficulties just because you you want to get over the awkwardness um, and rush into a kind of convergence. So just managing the tensions and the conflicts well along the way. So um, you're really making sure that the, the thing you're coming up with is the, the thing that's going to add most value um, and not just something that adds some value. Um, and and um, what, what are you finding at the moment in terms of organisations and their approach to 
going back into the office or going back to pre-COVID ways of working when people have become more accustomed to working in that much more flexible environment what what, what are you finding over the last few weeks and months as things start to change I think it's a real mixed bag so you've got some organizations that have just gone right we're just going back to the office everybody in and they're making very knee-jerk decisions and it might be everybody's in we're in the office three days you can work from home two days a week um Mm. you've got others who are kind of taking a more pragmatic approach I guess looking at what's worked well for people um you know what the what are the challenges and they're trying to okay how do we keep the the stuff that's worked really well for people um and to carry that forward so I think it's starting with the right question isn't it around that whole hybrid solution what you know what's going to enable our people to do their best work for the organization so if you start with the right question then you kind of get into the how do we make that happen rather than a is it two days in the office or is it three um yeah. so there's some people who are engaged in that and others who are just desperate to, to go back to the way it was but I, I think for many people it's just a different world now and you're not you know I think ultimately you're going to restrict the, the type of people who want to come and work for you if you're you're overly dogmatic about bringing, bringing yeah. people back to a an inflexible nine-to-five office-based role when actually the business case isn't there necessarily and people can see it's worked for for 18 months or two years um, yeah I, 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 I've been talking to a couple of organizations recently one decided very early on mm. that we're all back in the office five days a week you know that that's 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 what we're going to do mm. um and that that was a um i don't know whether you call them a quango but certainly a a related to public sector mm. um and and another one um which was a non-for-profit said actually we're selling our head office mm. everyone's working from home so yeah. literally two extremes yeah um and both of them have lost really, really good people. This is the problem, isn't it? You know, if you go to the extremes, there's not one solution that fit. I think this whole hybrid thing is really, you know, we've, we've talked about workplaces and the employee experience becoming more and more personalised. And that that thing about where you work is almost like the ultimate, um, the ultimate extension of personalising the employee experience. And it's it's how you navigate that. What do we need to do to keep the best talent, keep people engaged, keep people motivated, but also enable us to still deliver our kind of corporate objectives or organizations um yeah deliver on organization's purpose so i think for me i think if as a leader you can set some you know as we talked about high level outcomes what are the things that we need to you know we need to deliver as an organization so set those and then give people the freedom to work out how to do it um and you know if you need more collaboration then be creative about that you know you've got some organizations that are completely remote that bring their people together a couple of times a year for a kind of big social event there's some great tools that you can use for collaboration that that aren't made the most of at the moment. So it's upping your own kind of virtual collaboration yeah. skills as a as a leader and encouraging your team to do that as well. So yeah. there's all and sorts I think, of ways. I think it, it, it's interesting, and I think it's two ways because as individuals, you need to be open mm. to yeah, absolutely take advantage if you can work from home and if the organisation allows you to do that to have that flexibility, but also remember that at some times it just won't work for, yes. for you to conduct workshops through through yeah. zoom or yeah. teams you do need to physically be in in, yeah. in in the same room so as individuals you need to have that flexibility as well um, yeah. and i think if, if if the organization the management and the individuals have that open approach yeah that, that will be really really powerful moving forward 
really really powerful I think it's having clarity on that as well so that you don't get people joining an organization expecting one thing and then finding out it's different because that's when you get the real problems when that there's that big disconnect between expectations and reality so if you you're open with people and say if you work here then that probably means you're going to be in the office you know for some of the time and you can work from home some of the time that's great people know what they're getting into um yeah you know but equally there's people who hate working from home so yeah, you know if, yeah. if your environment is fully virtual you need to be upfront with people because some people just go that is like my idea of hell yeah, um, yeah. well i remember i remember um i, I delivered my consultant through a professional services firm gonna cook and um there's about 300 partners and mm. um i remember having a conversation with one of the a big part of it is a law firm and i was having a conversation with one of the lawyers very early on in, in lockdown one when literally everybody was mm. locked down wasn't it and and she's like I hate the maintenance she says mm. I, I live on my own I've got a one bedroom flat in East London yeah it's it's just dreadful and and yeah. and, and that well-being in that uh, that mental health was was a major had a major impact on, upon yeah. it she's really really focused very you know very successful um, but that ability to not leave the confines of a one-bedroom flat in East London yeah. Was, um, was, yeah. was, was, had a massive impact on that. Yeah, and that's why as a leader it's really important you know your teams and you know yeah. your, in, your people as individuals so you know who's going to thrive in, in which environments and who's going to find yeah. you know, a particular situation really difficult and then you can help them work with it. Yeah, and that, and that comes back to your, your comment on LinkedIn, isn't it? To create the conditions, <laughs> cultures, structures and yep. processes. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, so we, we, we end these with a common question. Mm. Um, so if you had to um, really just focus upon one thing, mm. um, what would that be? What's, what's the one takeaway that you think is the, 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 the non-negotiable in terms of driving change and transformation? Yeah, it, this probably won't be a major surprise, but I think it's about putting people in the driving seat and putting people first. Um, you know, I guess part of my mission is to stop leaders paying lip service to saying that. So um, yeah. really, really put people um, in the driving seat, co-create with them, involve them from the off and be as creative and find as many ways as you can do that. And I think don't buy into the idea. It slows the process down. Um, I think it just it's just different phasing. You either put the effort in up front involving people or you're dealing with consequences not having done that later down the, the track so um yeah yeah, yeah there's, there's, there's a phrase in there some, it, it might slow the start yes um um but but it will speed up the the, the, the end almost and, and yeah that, that's not the quote but it, it's something along the, the line the sentiment of it yeah yeah Lovely. yeah well great well thank you very much danny i'm uh, really appreciative of you coming on uh, on today we occasionally get cut some questions. So if I collate them, are you happy to, uh, to, to, to take questions and, and engage with people directly? Yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely fine, Tony. No worries. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Okay. Cheers. Thank you. Danny, thank you so much for joining me today. There's so many things that we have covered that are relevant to organisations and people undergoing change and transformation right now. As Danny mentioned, she has recently launched her own consultancy, if you have the desire to follow our footsteps, as part of the Transformation Leaders Hub, we have created a 22-question assessment that will help you to identify those areas that will require focus to ensure that you can successfully pivot your career in this way. Um, so check out the link in the show notes and take advantage of the assessment right now. 
We will be back in a couple of weeks' time with our 50th episode. In most of the previous shows, we have discussed the potential impact of change on stress levels. The guy that I have on the next show believes passionately that change shouldn't be stressful and he will share his experiences and actions taken to ensure that this is the case. So, see you in a couple of weeks.